This week on the Young and Dumb Podcast, we have Hannah from New York. This former matchmaker and NYU grad has shifted her focus to the world of journalism. She has an elegant way with words and has gone on to write for The Washington Post, Cosmopolitan, BuzzFeed, Boston Globe, New York Post, Us Weekly, USA Today, and many more. She's even completed her first novel, Playing With Matches, based on young adult life and dating. So this week, we learn how to make a match with Hannah. Maximizing. Taking in all of her experiences and molding them into a fictional masterpiece. Agile. Moving between the writing industry to matchmaking, back into writing her own book, she's always on the move. Thoughtful. Finding herself through her passions, she looks at every moment in her life to see how she can become better from it. Creative. She has her own book. Heartfelt is how she made all the connections she's needed while playing matchmaker. This week, we make a match with Hannah. What's going on, everyone? It's your favorite co-host from the Young and Dumb podcast here, Justin and Gary. And we're back with episode number 59, live from Windsor, Connecticut. We have another special guest from New York. We have Hannah on board with us today. She is a magician with the pencil. Her books are magnificent. Hannah, say what's up to the people. Hey, thank you for having me. No problem. It's great to have you on board. So we're going to introduce you to the young and dumb way. We're going to waste no more time. Get right into it. Let us know who you are and what you're doing right now. My name is Hannah Orenstein. I'm a writer, editor, and author in New York. My first novel, Playing With Matches, came out last month, and it's a rom-com about a 22-year-old matchmaker working in New York City at a high-end dating service, and it's inspired by the time that I spent working as a matchmaker. Uh, So currently, I'm really excited about that, and we are uh, having a lot of fun being here. So thank you so much for having me. That's awesome. Thank you for coming on. So tell us a little bit more about the backstory of why you wanted to write it. Of course, it's a little bit about like yourself because you're in the same situation, but how did you get to writing? I, <clears throat> I always wanted to write a novel. That's always been a dream of mine. And I really didn't know what it should be about, but I knew that I loved stories about love triangles and careers and friendship in New York City. And I wanted to write something similar to what I like to read. And the minute that I started working as a matchmaker, I was instantly plunged into this really unusual, bizarre, eclectic world full of fascinating people. And I was learning so much about love and I was being dating from a totally new point of view. So I figured that would be a great setting for a novel. Incredible. And can you tell me a little bit more about what it's like to be a matchmaker? It's not something, a profession that I hear often. Um, So I'm actually really curious to how not only you became a matchmaker, but what it's like to live the matchmaker life. So the book obviously has a lot more about this, but Mm -hmm. uh, I was an intern at Elle Magazine and uh, I met the advice columnist there who has a matchmaking company. And I did a little bit of amateur matchmaking. I set up students on my college campus and I would write about their (laughs) And that was so much fun, I loved it. And I was terrible at it, but... (laughs) And so I was talking to her about matchmaking and she hired me and I started when I was 21 years old Mm -hmm. and I was totally in over my head because I didn't know anything about relationships at all. Like my most formative romantic experience was like getting dumped in a grocery store and my clients were in their 30s and 40s and they wanted to find people to settle down with and find their life partners and get married and fall in love. And I was tasked with something that was 
you know, really difficult uh, that it probably wasn't that well suited for. So I would work one-on-one with my clients. I would go out for like cocktails or coffee or whatever. And for two hours, we would talk about their lifestyle, what they were looking for, what their past relationships had been like, the kind of partner they wanted to meet, who they were attracted to, what their deal breakers were. And from there, I would go out into the world and I would try to find these people. So I would set up my clients on two dates a month, paid on commission. So the job involved a lot of calling up random strangers and saying, hey, it's really weird, but I want to talk to you because I think you could be a my client. I was on dating apps all the time. I had like eight different dating apps on my phone that I was swiping through all day long. <laughs> and, um, and then I, one part of the job was actually just like researching interesting date spots and scheduling and setting that up. And then after my clients went out with their dates, it was my job to sort of be their best friend the morning after and like debrief and talk to them about how it went and see, you know, maybe I didn't get it perfect this time. How can I do a better job next time? Interesting. So when I think of Matchmaker, I think of the movie Hitch. Have you ever seen that movie with Will Smith? I think of that too. So is your lifestyle kind of similar to that or is that kind of the extreme version of a matchmaker, so to say? So with Hitch, he was setting up you know, somebody who's a little bit um, uncomfortable with dating. And there are certainly matchmakers who do that. The clients that I worked with tended to be people who were either a little too busy or a little bit too high profile to be on dating apps. So it was coming at matchmaking from a different standpoint. Uh, in that movie, he only had one client, which mm. is a huge luxury. I was juggling 12 or more. So mm. uh, it's similar, but uh, it's kind of like, you know, working at a fashion magazine is not like the Devil Wears Prada. It's a little bit different in real life. Okay. So I've I've experienced a lot of different, um, well, just my, my experiences with media in general, I've seen a lot of different approaches to um, matchmaking, whether it be um, mathematically, uh, some people do it mathematically, they break it down to a science. Um, some people approach it spiritually. Which um, approach have you seen to work the best among your clients? If you can relay that information. I think you, whether you know, you're working professionally as a matchmaker or you're just setting up your friends, I would say pay really close attention to somebody's lifestyle. Um, you know, do they have the same kind of schedule? Is one person traveling every single weekend, whereas the other one's at home? Does one like to go out clubbing until three o'clock in the morning and the other person wants to, you know, come home at eight o'clock and just watch TV and go to bed? Little things like that don't seem to be super important, but realistically, that's you know, how we all structure our lives. And you need somebody who's going to be on that same wavelength. So I would say pay attention to those details. Interesting. I like that. And then so on top of that, since our world is completely encased with technology, how do you view technology in terms of matchmaking or dating? Do you think it's a positive or do you think it's a negative? I think it's positive. I don't think there's anything wrong about having more opportunities to meet more people. I get that some people think it's superficial or that, um, you know, it can help people put up walls to make it even harder to meet. But Overall, I think it's brought so many more opportunities to millions of people. Okay. And given all that you've experienced through your um, your matchmaking years, what were some of your uh, biggest lessons that you've learned either through uh, mistakes that you made or huge successes that you made um, over the years? Hmm, good question. I would say one thing matchmaking taught me is that mm-hmm. dating is really a numbers game. You can have two people who seem perfect on paper, or you could find like, 10 people that you would be perfect with on paper, but it really just comes down to chemistry. And you can't predict chemistry until you actually you know, sit down across the table from the person and have a conversation. So I would say 
you know, be open-minded and go out with as many people as you can, even if you don't think they're exactly your type or if you're going to get along perfectly because, you know, you're not going to have chemistry with every single one of them. But eventually, if you keep dating, you're going to find that and that's really special and beautiful and that's worth pursuing, even if it is a little bit exhausting. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So I want to transition a little bit to your book. Um, so how does a matchmaker, we heard why you wanted to write a book and that it's always been your passion, but how does that transition happen of being a matchmaker and now your, your, your book just released last month, I think you said, right? Yeah, I'm at June 26. So I, I was a matchmaker for seven months. I did it the summer between my junior and senior year of college, and then I continued um, halfway through my senior year. And then I left matchmaking because I really missed writing. My background has always been in writing. And I wanted to intern in magazines and then get a job at a publication after I graduated. So I left matchmaking. I went to Cosmo.com to be an intern there. And then later I worked at Seventeen after I graduated. And uh, that same semester, I enrolled in a fiction workshop in college. I always wanted to write a novel, like I said, but I wasn't really confident enough to do it. So I figured I might as well take a class. Um, you know, I had one free elective my last semester. And I wrote a short story about a matchmaker. And the the response from the class was really great. I thought it was a really intimidating group of students. They were all crazy talented and dressed all in black and would change smoke outside the libraries. And, write <laughs> and I had this like kind of like light, fluffy rom-com. And mine was different. And I worried that that meant that it wasn't good enough. But there was this one student who was just light years more talented than the rest of us. And she said, you know, I thought this was going to be really basic, but it's actually pretty good. You should turn this into a novel. So I spent the next couple months thinking about how to do that. I graduated in May. It took me another couple months to get a job. I was unemployed for a few months. And in between sending out job applications and freelancing, I would work on this novel. So um, I wrote half the first draft that summer. And that um, gave me enough on paper to feel like I should really pursue this. And that's how I was motivated to finish it. Okay, that's dope. And I I really feel connected to your story just because I have started some small parts of my own novel. Um, haven't really told anyone yet, but like I've done like little pieces here and there, but I've actually struggled um, a lot to fully progress and move forward and actually get a large sum of it done. So how did you um, work it into your everyday life? Mm. I mean, I will say it's really easy when you're unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think, you know, if you can commit to whatever word count is like comfortable or a slight stretch for you, whether that's like 500 words a day or a thousand words a day and commit to that like two or three times a week, the same way that you would commit to going to the gym, um, you know, that's a goal that you can work at. And if you get in the habit of doing it regularly, I think it's easier to stay in this pattern of doing it regularly. Um, personally, I felt that once I got to like 50 pages, I was like, wow, there's like so much here. And when I was scrolling through it on my computer, it looked long. And I was like, well, I can't give up now because there's already so much on the page. But I think getting to that point where you feel like you'd be dumb to give it up mm -hmm. is helpful. Okay. So the biggest question I have for you at least is when I used to write, I hate writing, but when I had to <laughs> during like school and stuff, I tend to run into writer's block. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure you've run into it, but how do you overcome it? Two things. Um, number one, I like to outline. I don't know if you feel this way, but I think it's a lot simpler sometimes to like make bullet points of what you're going to do and then do it. 
So um, I was always writing off an outline, so I always knew sort of what was going to come next. The other thing is that I would always leave off in the middle of a chapter, so I had something to come back to. So if you're sitting down and looking at a blank screen, that's really intimidating and that's really hard to get started. But if you have like half a scene already, you kind of know, okay, I just have to write the next line and then we can keep going. Mm -hmm. I think that tricks your brain into writing more of it. Okay, no, that's pretty cool. I'll definitely keep keep that in the back pocket when I continue my writing. What has been um, the best publication that you've come across? Well, let me transition. Let me change that around. What has been your biggest influence uh, when you start your writing, whether it be a publication or a specific writer? Um, what has really spoken to you when you uh, do your writing? Um, for writing fiction, it's definitely other novels. I read fair amount, I would say. Um, and there are so many books, especially by young women, about young women that were really inspiring to me when I was writing my book. So the ones that I read that summer, um, right before I started writing, were The Royal We, which is like Will and Kate fan fiction. It's so swoony and delicious and wonderful. Okay. I had a talk to Jessica Morgan, The Knockoff by Joe Piazza and Lucy Sykes, which is like The Devil Wears Prada in 2015. Um, what else did I read that summer that I loved? Um, Normal Girl by Molly Jong Fast, um, which is just this like delightful, quick novel about a girl struggling. It sounds dark with subsidies and partying and death, and she's at a funeral, but it's like delightful in this really weird way. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I would say, um, you know, if you're looking for inspiration, read the kind of stuff that you want to write. I like it. So, with that, how does someone get published? What are the actual steps of being published? So it depends if you are writing fiction or nonfiction. For fiction, which is what I wrote, you need to finish the entire first draft or like maybe the second or third draft, but like get to the point where you have a full manuscript that's pretty polished before anybody is gonna look at your work. So once I had a draft they felt pretty confident in, I could start sending that out to agents. It's kind of like applying to colleges. You have to write like a cover letter, you send them like 10 pages of your, um, of your chapters and then you wait to hear back you get rejected a lot so it's like you know applying to colleges or jobs um and once i got an agent she and i did two rounds of revisions and then she it's her job to pitch it out to editors so her job is to um build all these relationships with editors so to know which editor might be a good fit for your work and vice versa so that's how that happens and then once you get an editor um they're the ones who First, edit your book, but also you know, connect you with people in PR and marketing and graphic design to do the cover of your book to start pitching you out to you know publications and podcasts just like this one. So yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty long process, but three years start to finish. Okay, and what role has um, your writing for different publications had in the? I guess, success of your book right now? Because I've seen that you've written for BuzzFeed, Washington Post, among many other publications. Um, I mean, it's just a great way to get the word out there. So, you know, it, I'm somebody who likes to write. I was really happy to do all those stories. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, but it's just about you know, getting your name out there to readers who might not already know who you are, who might not even think that they would be interested in your book. But once they read a little sample of your writing, they're like, oh, like, wait a second, like maybe I would want to look this up. Yeah. I like it. So with that, I just have, like, how does it feel to be followed by Barack Obama? 
I I went to Twitter. I knew this was coming. I knew I this went coming. to Twitter and it says Barack Obama follows you, and it's just like, how? How did that happen? Oh my god, that was years ago. I remember being really surprised. Um, I mean, I voted for him. Maybe he knows that, but <laughs> I don't. Know. I don't know. It just kind of happened. Yeah. I think him. I'm sure it was like some staffer in charge of his social media, but he follows a bunch of people. I'm not actually that special. I will say whenever I see that I, um, Chrissy Teigen follows somebody, I'm like, okay, that's like really special. Cause I don't think that anybody does her social media. I think that she does it herself. Okay. No, that's pretty cool. I should probably let Brock know that if I was able to vote at the time, I would have voted for him too. So yeah. You know, maybe he'll he'll follow me that way. But saying all this, I'd like to transition um, and shift focus. And I want to take your entire journey. So from when you first picked up a pencil and realized all the magic that it can do to now, now that you have your book release, we want to take that journey and we want to turn it into a loaning bar. Yeah. So from zero to 100%, where do you feel like you are right now on your loading bar? Oh, my God. I feel like I'm at like... 30, 40%. Um, I mean, I'm really proud of what I've done. I've written for publications I'm proud of. You know, I have a book that I love, but I, I want to do more. I want more books. You know, I want to write for TV. There's so much more to do. <laughs> Great. And and tell me what 100% looks like, oh if there God. is 100%. Um, so when I signed with my agent, she sent over a contract that outlines every single possibility that could ever potentially happen in my career and what percent of the money I would get. And the line that really stood out to me was, if you have a theme park, this is what percentage of the <laughs> you get. So I joke that I want a theme park, but uh, I don't know if I'm ready for it yet. Literally every situation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right. No, we'll, we'll work up to that that theme park stage. I'll be if I'll pre-order tickets. He's a <laughs> beneficiary. I, I'll be I'll be there. Thank I'll you. Be there. All right. So now we get to move on to our favorite part of the interview, which are the deep thinking questions. So, Hannah, are you ready? Yes. All right. So, question number one. Let's imagine a hundred years from now, um, you're sitting there and you're told that it's your last day on Earth. You've accomplished everything that you've ever done. You have your theme park named after you, and all your books are in it. Um, but everything that you've ever accomplished is going to disappear. So all your social media, all your books, all your theme parks, etc. But you get to pick three things that you want to be remembered for. What are those three things? Oh my God. Like, what a question. Um, <laughs> I guess, uh, that's such a hard question. I guess my book, I'm proud of that. That took a lot of work. Um, I used to write a lot of stories for Seventeen when I was there about sexual health for teenagers. And I'm really proud of those because, um, you know, especially in an era where abstinence-only education is prevalent in several states, um, I think only 13 states require their sex ed to be medically accurate. I think that's important work. I was proud of that. Um, and I would want to be remembered. Um, this is like a weird superficial one, but I love my hair. It's like really long. It took forever to grow out and like, that's an accomplishment. No, 100%. I mean, usually that third one is always something personal. We had people say they, they want to be known for their jump shot. I want to be known for my scoring ability. Um, so, like, it's it's okay. You want to be known for your hair. Go for it. Love it. Love yeah. that. So, we're going to shift to our second question. Seconds before everything disappears, you look onto your bookshelf and you see your autobiography. And you take a look at the first chapter, and it's your entire life up to right now. Mm -hmm. What is the title of that first chapter? 
Young and Dumb. <laughs> like that. I can definitely get behind that. I'm buying that book. <laughs> so with that, what is the meaning behind Young and Dumb? For you, at least. Oh, my God. I mean, I, there, I've gotten, I think, mostly positive reviews in my book so far, but all the negative ones are like, your character makes bad decisions and that's unrealistic. And like, they 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 seem very concerned that she's 22 years old and uh, occasionally messing up. I think it's fine. Like, go do what you think is right. Go have fun. You know, if it doesn't work out, that's okay. You can dust yourself off. You're only 22 years old. Um, <laughs> and I think a lot of those lessons come from real life. And I feel like you're speaking directly to me because I'm going on 22. So like, you know, being young and dumb is like, that's life. We, we make a ton of mistakes and we just got to be accept ourselves for it and, you know, just roll with it. So transition into our fourth question. What are some publications that you would possibly like to write for in the future? And that includes um, include TV shows and networks in there as well. Mm. Um, my white whale would be Modern Love, the column in the New York Times. Every Sunday, okay. they have these heart-wrenching, disgustingly beautiful essays about relationships. Um, that, and I want my own TV show. I think that'd be really fun. Yeah, and what would that TV show be about? It would be an adaptation of Playing With Matches. Okay, I like that. Awesome. So before we ask our last question, um, where can people find you and where can people find your book as well? Sure. So I'm on social media at Hannah Orens, H-A-N-N-A-H-O-R-E-N-S. That's Twitter and Instagram. And then you can find my book on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, Target, IndieBound, um, at Hudson News in the airport if you're traveling. Awesome. So last question, Hannah, are you ready? Mm -hmm. uh, what is a question that you wish that we asked you? Oh, these are great. I love this podcast. This is so much fun. <laughs> um, I, somebody recently asked me in an interview what my favorite bagel order was, my go-to bagel order was, and that was the question I was most excited to answer for the entire podcast. I think I was just really hungry. But <laughs> my favorite bagel is the egg everything bagel with jalapeno cheddar cream cheese by my boyfriend's apartment and it's delicious. It's like out of this world. It's called Bagel Smith if you're ever in Brooklyn. Bagel Smith. Mm -hmm. Okay, we'll have to remember that. So Hannah, I wanna take a second and extend a, a big thank you from the Young and Dumb and Get Your Grind Up community for taking the time out of your day to come on the podcast, drop some knowledge and share your book with us. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun, you guys are awesome. Thank you, thank you. And it's it's our pleasure. So for everyone listening out there, if you want to learn a little bit more about Hannah, you can check out her information on our website at getrogrindup.com or you can hop on social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at getrogrindup. We'll be back again very soon with another incredible episode of the Young and Dumb podcast. Always remember, we are all young and dumb. And never forget, get show grind up. We'll see you guys soon. Peace. Peace. Bye.